the mimer that we're about to begin, which is just on time. It's a very special mimer. It's a mimer which became a vernacular to capture what our generation is all about. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, prepared this mimer to be taught, to be learned on the 10th of Shvat in the year 5710. That was the first five chapters, the ones which we're about to study. Then there were there was a Hemshech, a continuation of this Maimer, which was prepared to be given out over the course of that year. In total, there were 20 chapters to this Maimer, but the first five are the main, the most foundational ones. And on the 10th of Shvat 5710, when this Maimer was given out, was the day that the Fidika Rebbe was nostalgic, the day that he passed away. It was Shabbos Yud Shvat. And it's interesting, one of the things that you can see on the original booklet that was given to be studied is that the word Shlita was written missing a Yud. The word shlita means sheyu la yamim tevim aruchim, and the word shlita was missing a yud. Thank you. But besides for that hint and other hints which came up, the Rebbe saw in this mimer that this mimer was a sort of tzava, a will that the Fidika Rebbe had given for us with a vision of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to continue and what our Aveda, what our divine service is now in this generation, which the Rebbe made clear in his first mimer, which he said one complete year later, on Yud Shvat 5711, Tavshin Yud that this is the final generation of exile and the first generation of redemption. So in the mimer we're about to study, this mimer is a mimer which is teaching us how we're supposed to look at the world and what we're supposed to do inside of it. And you'll see clearly how it accomplishes that. In fact, the Rebbe one time said that any person that finds himself in any situation where the Yetzer Hara, the negative inclination is bothering him and he doesn't know what to do about it, he should make sure that he has this mimer in his arsenal. That he has this mimer in his head. He knows this mimer because somewhere in this mimer he will find a way to combat, to fight with the Yetzirah. Let's start the mimer. Basi, Legani, Achaisi, Kalo. Those are the opening words of the mimer. Everyone has it? And again, in the PDF, you have the, the PDF that was just put both on the Hasidus WhatsApp, which everyone can join, and also in the visitors' WhatsApp for this program, for the Taste of Yeshiva program. You're, you'll find over there a PDF, which has a full translation of everything that we're reading over here. Basi Legani Achesi Kala. This is words... From Shleima HaMelech, from Shir HaShirim, the Song of Songs. Shleima HaMelech says, I have come to my garden, my sister, my bride. My sister, my bride are terms of endearment. 
the one who is talking is Hashem. And Hashem is talking to us, Yidin. The time that he's talking is when he came down here into this world, when he came to give us the Torah, and then after, when he came here into this world, when we built the Beis HaMikdash to house him, so to speak. A place where his Shechina, his presence, the divine presence can dwell. And Hashem says, I have come to my garden. And the key word over here is my garden. And it says in the Medrash Rabbah on this verse, that it doesn't say I've come to a garden. It says I've come to my garden. So just the idea of saying I've come to a garden, when you look at this world and you perceive this world as a garden, that's a tremendous novelty. Because we don't often perceive this world as a garden. We look at the world around us and we see a jungle rather than a garden. So just the perspective that the world is a garden is itself something tremendous. But the fact that Hashem is saying it's not just a garden, but my garden, the Medrash sees as very unique. And the Medrash says that Hashem is implying over here that this world is lignuni. Lignuni means my my brighter, bridal chamber. It's like an area outside which is built up special for the chasen and kala to spend time together. In other words, Hashem is saying, I'm coming to our special place. You have a couple sometimes that has a special place, right? A place where they first met, a place where he proposed to her, whatever it might be. Hashem says, I'm coming to my special place, a special place that he Hashem has together with us Yidin, his beloved. And the Medrash continues to describe it. What is Hashem's special place? It's here in this world. That's where Hashem is coming by Matan Torah, by the time when the Beis HaMikdash is being built. He's coming here to this world, to the place, Hashem says, where my main presence was in the very beginning. In other words, Hashem says, and this, for this you have to take a pause and just imagine what Seder Hishtalshlus is, because we're going to be talking, especially in this chapter, the first chapter of Basilagani about Seder Hishtalshlus. Seder Hishtalshlus means that when Hashem created the world, Hashem created the world with levels that are beyond anything that we can possibly perceive, that we can possibly count. And within those levels, there are four worlds, they're called, Dalit Eilamais, four worlds which are described in Kabbalah, that each one of those worlds has many different levels. And the reason for this process is, if you could imagine the process that anybody would go through when he has a project that he wishes to, to accomplish. So there's the initial stage where he has an idea what he wants, whatever that end goal is. And then he goes through the stages. We'll talk maybe more later about the various stages that he goes through. But he goes through many stages in thought, in in um, in, in conceptualizing this desire and how to achieve it and then many levels in actually going about the process of achieving it and then finally depending on how big the project is but if you're talking about a project of building a world where we exist from a place where there is only god that's a huge project at the end of the whole process, at the end of the whole project, what happens at the end? Then there's this world. But in Kabbalah, it says, we say it in L'chadoidi as well, 
סייף מסה במחשב התחילה. The end of the action is what was the original thought. In other words, within this process, and all of its levels, and all of its layers, and all of its... the, the, the steps along the way, what's the ultimate objective? The ultimate objective is the end result. And where is the end result? The end result is right here. We are the end result. We are the safe masa, the end of the result. This is the makam shahaya ikri batchila, the place where my main presence was in the very beginning, were the place where Hashem's main presence was. And therefore, when Hashem finally came back here, he said, Basi Ligani. Why did Hashem go away? So the Maimer explains why Hashem went away. The Iker Shechina B'Tachteinim Haisa, the main presence of the Shechina was B'Tachteinim, it was below, it's not in this booklet, it's not in the booklet. No. The Iker Shechina B'Tachteinim Haisa, the main presence of the Shechina was here below. Val Yidei Chet Eitz through the sin of the Tree of Knowledge. Nistalka HaShechina, the Shechina left, Me'eretz L'Rakiyah, from this world to the heavens. What does that mean? So, I told you about the idea of someone wanting to perform a project. Let's say, in order to make it as close to the analog, that the project that he wants is to have a home. He wants to have a home where he can live, right? So in the process of building a home, there is the idea, I want my home. I want my place where I can feel comfortable and I can live. That's the initial step. That's the machshava tchila. And then you need to create a blueprint for the home. The blueprint for the home is all in ideas. It's all in concept. It's not a reality. There's nothing tangible. You don't have something you could touch, you could smell, you could feel. It's <coughs> it's just an idea. An idea of building a home. And then, what happens next? After this concept, so then you have to start accumulating materials. The materials that you accumulate, so you're going to collect bricks. With bricks you can build a... <coughs> long ranch or a tall tower, right? There's many different things you could build with it. There's many possibilities. There's much potential in those bricks, but those bricks are necessary in order for you to build your home. And then you have the structure where you start to build the skeleton of the home. You start to build the structure of the building. Then it starts to take form. This is Atsilos. Atsilos is the blueprint. Bria. Bria is the raw materials with all of their potential. Yitzira is the form where it starts to take form. And then you have Asiya. Asiya is where you start making it into an actual home that you could enter into. It's not just a skeleton. It's an actual home that you could enter into. It starts becoming something practical and tangible until it becomes physical. And that's where you go from Asiya, the spiritual world of Asiya, the concept of Asiya, to Asiya Gashmas, the physical world of Asiya. That's where Hashem wanted his home. Hashem wanted a home. He wanted a dwelling place here in our world. What does it mean that Hashem should have a dwelling place here in our world? This idea that I'm about to tell you is the main idea of this whole entire Mimer. What does it mean that Hashem should have a dwelling place here in this world? What does it mean that you have a home? A home is a place where you can be yourself completely. (coughs) Where there's nothing bothering you. You could have whatever food you want. You could have whatever books you want. You could have whatever furniture you want. You could paint the walls in whatever color you want to paint them. And so on and so forth. And you could come in over there into that home and feel like yourself. What does it mean that Hashem wants a home? Hashem wanting a home means 
that Hashem wants this world to be a place where you can see Him, where you can feel Him. How can you feel Hashem in this world? When you take a cookie and make a bracha mezaynis, you take a crisp, crispy rice bite and you make a bracha shahakal, then you're able to see inside of the world godliness. When you walk into a home, a place where there's Shabbos candles, a place where there's a menaira, a place where there are there's Torah being studied, there's a tzedakah box on the wall, and so on and so forth. This is a place where you're able to see in the physical materialism of it, it's a place where Hashem is able to call his home. Hashem wanted to be able to call this world his home. And that's his objective. Now let's say you want to have a home. And then there's something that happens. The sewer backs up. And it starts to smell in the home very, very badly. So initially you may try to rough it out, but at some point you just can't be there anymore. You need to leave. You need to go out. This is what happened to Hashem's home here as well. Hashem created a world, a world which He wanted to be His home. He put Adam Harishin inside of this world and He said, I'm putting you here, I'm putting you here in order to make sure that this world should be a world where I'm able to feel comfortable. But then the sewer backed up. What does that mean? Adam Harishin did an action which rejected Hashem. That's the opposite of my home. My home is a place where I should be able to do what I want, not where someone else is dictating to me what is being done. For Hashem to have His presence here in this world, Hashem needs to be channeled through the world that His his presence should be able to be felt and seen and and connected to. And if there's something which is blocking that, then it's causing Hashem to want to leave, to go away, to pull away from the world. And that's what happened when Chet Eitz Hadas, when Adam HaRishon did what Hashem told him not to do. Hashem said, don't eat from this tree. Everything you could eat from, except for this tree. Adam Arishan went and ate from that tree. What did that cause? It caused that Hashem's presence was no longer channeled in the world. Because now Adam Arishan is saying, I exist and I can do what I want, even if Hashem is telling me not to. So that's And then there were subsequent sins that took place. And those subsequent sins caused that the smell got stronger and spread farther. The odor which made the home uninhabitable, uninhabitable caused that Hashem went, so to speak, to the neighbor's house, to the first rakia, the first heaven, the closest area, so that he could still be close to his home, so that he should be able to go back. But instead of being able to go back, he was pushed farther away. From the neighbor, he was pushed to a different block. From the different block, he was pushed to a different neighborhood. From a different neighborhood, he was pushed to a different state. From a different state to a different country, and so on. That's what occurred. That's what we're about to read, that Val through the sin of Cain and Enish, Nistalka Shrina Merkia Aleph Lebez Vigimel, the divine presence left 
from the first heaven, first to the second heaven, and then to the third heaven. And afterwards, bedar hamabul in the generation of the flood, it continued to get pushed away from the third heaven to the fourth heaven, and it continued to go farther and farther away through the behaviors of people, which instead of channeling godliness into the world, rejected godliness and pushed godliness away from the world. As it says in the Medrash Rabbah, on the verse, it says, with regard to Adam Erishan, it says, Adam Erishan heard Call Hashem Aleikim. This is immediately after he ate from the tree of knowledge. He he did this sin which rejected Hashem. Immediately afterwards, it says he heard the sound of Hashem mishalich going inside of the garden. Now this word mishalich is an unusual verb, and Amar Rab Abba Rab Abba translates it that mihalich inksifkan. It doesn't say that it went but rather mishalik, a constant state of action, a constant state of going. Why was there this constant state of going? Because now Hashem was banished from his home, and he is going from place to place. He's in exile, so to speak, because he can't be home. Kafitz v'azil, kafitz v'azil, jumping and going, jumping and going. V'achakach, and afterwards... The process was finally reversed. How was the process reversed? Through seven tzaddikim coming and causing that godliness should now be channeled into this world. Amdu shiva tzaddikim, seven tzaddikim got up. They brought the shechina back down. In other words, they proclaimed Hashem. As God of the world, starting from Avram Avinu, who made sure that all travelers, anyone that passed by, even simple Arabs, should know Hashem. And then continuing with Yitzchak and Yaakov and Levi and Kahas and Amram. The, and then finally Meshe Rabbeinu. That each of these tzaddikim, each of these leaders of Klal Yisrael, of the Jewish people in the very beginnings of the Jewish nation, each of these leaders stood up and fought against the world. Avraham was called Ivri. Why was he called Ivri? Where does this word Ivri come from? Ivri is a name that stuck to the Jews forever. Where does this name Ivri come from? The word Ivri means on the side. Why? Because the whole world is on one side and the Jew, Avraham Avinu, the one who's proclaiming Hashem as God is on the other side. Avraham Avinu was prepared to fight against the whole world as unfortunately we have had to be throughout our history prepared to stand against the whole world, to stand up for what's right, for what's correct, despite the challenges against us. But this leadership of Avraham and then the subsequent Sadiqim caused that the process was reversed and slowly Hashem was made more welcome again to have his home here in this world. <coughs> so first Avraham, Zacha Vahiridas Ashkina, Mirkia Zayin Levav, first Avraham Avinu merited and he brought down the Shechina from the seventh to the sixth, then Yitzchak from Vav to Hey from the sixth to the fifth, and so on and so forth, father to child, father to child, Ad Kimesha until Meisha Rabbeinu, the seventh generation. Shehu Shvi, <coughs> he was the seventh. Now, of course, this Mimer is a Mimer, which, as I said in the beginning, is a vision, a living will for us, the seventh generation, and how we're supposed to accomplish this goal, Bechol Hashvin Chavivin, all sevenths are beloved. This is thrown in over here, was seemingly not directly relevant to the Mimer, but in the background that we're seeing of what this Mimer is doing, it becomes so eminently relevant 
that Kol Ashvin Chavivin, all sevens are beloved, that's our generation, Hevidei Lamata Ba'aretz, Meishir Abenu brought the Shechina back to this world. When? By Matan Torah, and then after Matan Torah, by the Beis HaMikdosh. The Beis HaMikdosh was a place where you entered into the Beis HaMikdosh and you saw Eibishter. You were able to feel Eibishter. The way that we're able to see cookies, in the Beis HaMikdosh you were able to see God. It's an amazing thing. You were literally able to see the presence of Hashem over there. And that the Mimer continues and tells us. <coughs> Excuse me. The main revelation of godliness was in the Beis HaMikdash, as it says in the verse, Make for me a Mikdash, Hashem says, And I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them, I will dwell in the Mikdash. It doesn't say I will dwell in it. In them. In other words, Hashem is saying, the Mikdash isn't a place that I need to be able to live. The Mikdash is a place that I need in order to be able to connect to Yidin. It's a place that I need in order to be able to connect to Yidin. B'shachanti b'saychan. When you walk into the dormitory, so, Rabbi Hecht is always telling you how you have to keep the dorms clean to make a Kiddush Hashem. Right? It's not just by the way. That's the Vishachanti B'saycham. Hashem isn't like in other religions where they see godliness in certain places. You're going to go into the house of worship, and over there you'll connect to God by your midnight mass, and then you go home back to your own house. <laughs> you go to God's house and then back to your house. In God's house you have to behave, and in your house you do your thing. That's a perception that others have. The Abishter says, no, I don't want your house to be somewhere else. I want Vishakhanti Bisaikham. I want to be able to dwell in you. I want that every single Jew, in every single bedroom of a Jewish person, and bathroom, and kitchen, dining room, gym, it doesn't matter where. I want that those should be places that I feel comfortable, that godliness is channeled. The way that you feel, Abishter, when you're standing in Yom Kippur and Davening, by the climax of Yom Kippur, and you're crying out, Havayahu Aleikim, Havayahu Aleikim, Havayahu Aleikim, right? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Echad. The way that you feel godliness then, that's the way you should be able to feel godliness also in your bedroom under your covers. V'shachanti b'seicham Hashem says b'seich kol echad v'echad inside of every individual Hashem wants to live in every yid. Hashem wants each and every one of us to be a Beis HaMikdash. Not that we should build a Beis HaMikdash for Hashem to live, but that we should be the Beis HaMikdash. That we should be the place where Hashem feels comfortable. Vizahu, and this is the meaning of the verse. It says, Tzadikim Yershu Aretz, Biyishkinu Laadalaha. Tzadikim, the, the literal translation is Tzadikim inherit the world and they will dwell forever on it. But the Mimer translates this slightly differently. And the Mimer says, Tzadikim Yershu Aretz, Tzadikim inherit Eretz. What is Eretz? Eretz is a reference to Ganeiden. Remember Ganeiden? Ganeiden is that place where, when Hashem created the world, He put Adam Arishin. The place where, when Hashem first created the world, was His home. Was a place where Hashem felt comfortable. Why do Tzadikim earn Ganeiden? 
What do you earn in Gan Eden? What is Gan Eden? What is Gan Eden? So again, there are other religions that have their own versions of what Gan Eden is. Some have 70 pies of pizza that were not touched by any man before. And so on and so forth. But in Yiddishkeit, Gan Eden is something very different. Gan Eden is a place where godliness is felt. The beauty, the deliciousness of Gan Eden is that you're able to just bask in godliness over there. The way that when you go to a vacation island, you're able to bask on the beach in the sun. In Gan Eden, you're able to bask in godliness. That's what Gan Eden is. It's a place where godliness is felt. It's a place where godliness is seen. Now, why do tzaddikim earn Gan Eden? Why do they earn a place where you're able to have godliness in such a palpable way? Mepnei ma. Why do they earn that? Lefi shehem mashkinim. It says v'yishkenu. Because they are mashkin. Mashkin is from the word mishkan. Mishkan is the original Beis HaMikdash. Because they draw down. They cause to dwell. Hainu mamshichim. Bechinas, the level of Lo'ad, what is Lo'ad? It's the level of Sheikh and Ad Marivikadish. It's the level of Hashem, which is godliness, which is exalted. And above, Shayya Begili Lamata, that it should be in a revealed way here in this world. In other words, the Aveda of a Tzadik, the divine service. Of a tzaddik, and every single Jew is a tzaddik. That means our aveda, what we're supposed to do here in this world. What is our job? Our job is that we should be a mishkan where Hashem's presence is recognized and felt. That's what we need to do. We need to cause that when we walk in the street, people look at us and say, There is a Jew. What does it mean, a Jew? A Jew is someone who lives with godliness. A Jew is an ivri, that the whole world is on one side and he's on the other side, and he's happy and proud to be on the other side and say, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Echad, there's one God and not many gods. There's one truth and not many truths. This is a Jew. And this is our job to walk in the street and project this message. And vizehu, this is basi legani legnuni lemakam shayeku betchila. This is that verse that we opened up with, that Hashem said, I came back to my garden, to my special place, to my my unique gnuni, to the place where I and the Yidin originally were one. When I created the world, we were in Gan Eden together. What's Gan Eden? Gan Eden is Hashem's home. And Hashem is welcoming us into his home. He's putting Adam into his home, man into his home, and saying, come, let's be together, let's live together. And then Adam makes that home uninhabitable and chases Hashem away. And then Tzadikim reversed that process and bring Hashem back down until Moshe Rabbeinu, who built the Mishkan, the first place of Mikdash, and brought Hashem back down. And now your job is to be a Beis HaMikdash. Your job is now that you should be a Beis HaMikdash, which brings Hashem back down here into this world, which makes Hashem's presence felt here in this world again. The Iker Shechina B'Tachteinim Haisa, to cause that the Shechina, the Divine Presence, should be felt below. That's what this whole Mimer is about. And every part of the Mimer, and the Mimer in its continued, not in the part that we're learning, doesn't get so esoteric, but it's in, in its continued chapters, gets deeply esoteric. But the whole point of this Mimer is, how do we achieve that we should be channeling godliness here in this world? And we start off with explaining it right in the very beginning. And that's in these next lines, the idea is, 
The primary objective in the creation of the world is the Nesava Kodesh Baruch that Hashem desired to have a dwelling place below, as we explained at length earlier. Hashem wanted that this world should be His home. And do you know how we know that Hashem wanted that this world should be His home? Because this is as low as it gets. It doesn't get any lower. That means this is the safe mass. This is the end of the line. And the end of the line, that's what started off in the beginning. Everything in between is in order to get from the original desire to the end. Everything in between, however exalted and lofty and whatever potential it may have, everything in between is order to get in order to get from the very beginning to the very end. But the end, that's us. <laughs> We're as low as it gets. It doesn't get any lower. It doesn't get any darker. It doesn't get any farther. And that means that we are the purpose. We're what it's all about. Hashem created this world for us. <laughs> that he should have a dwelling place by us. And when we go and wake up in the morning and put on tefillin, and wear a yamlaka and put on tzitzis, and, and give tzedakah, and learn Torah, and do mitzvahs. These things are things that cause that Hashem's desire for Adir B'tachtainim is accomplished, that we become a mishkan, a beis amikdash for Hashem. Hashem wanted that there should be revealed godliness below. But he didn't want <coughs> that it should be something that he imposes upon this world, that he superimposes himself here and makes godliness revealed over here. He, so to speak, says, Ani Hashem, I'm here, I'm God. Now recognize me. He wanted that we, through our Aveda, should come to recognize him. He wanted it should be al yidei avedas ha'adam through our service, through our divine service. He wanted us to come to recognize him. How do we accomplish that? So there are two words that describe how we accomplish coming to recognize Hashem here in this world. And those two words are al yidei iskafya v'ishapcha. Through iskafya and ishapcha. Iskafya means to bend over. Ishapcha means to turn over. Just a quick story. There was a certain Magid. He was a student of the Vilner Gain. He was known as the Dubna Magid. The Dubna Magid, his name was Yaakov. I think Yaakov Yisrael, if I remember correctly. I've always felt a certain connection to him because of that. The Dubna Magid used to tell stories wherever he went. He would give brilliant lectures, and in every lecture that he had, he would have a story to demonstrate his point, a point, a muscle, an analogy. He would ask questions on the weekly parsha or whatever verses he chose. And in order to answer the questions, he would. <coughs> Thank you. In in order to 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 answer the questions, he would use an analogy, a muscle, to drive his point home. It's okay. It's okay. One time he came. Thank you. He came to a certain place, and as usual, he asked to speak over there to give a lecture. And they told him you could speak, but no analogies. We don't want any analogies. We're tired of your analogies. We don't want analogies. So he said, fine, I won't give you any analogies. And he got up to speak. And when he started speaking, he said, I want to tell you a story that happened to me (laughs) on my way here. Okay. He starts talking. He says, I was coming here to this place, to this town. And I got lost, and I was wandering through the forest, and I was wandering in circles and circles, going around and around, trying to find my way here. And I could not, 
figure out how to get here. And I was lost and I couldn't figure out how to get out of the forest. I had no food, I had nothing to, n- nothing to eat, nothing to drink. I was tiring and finally I felt like my strength had completely ebbed. I had nothing left. And I sat down on the ground and I was ready to say vidui and return my soul to its maker. And as I was about to start clapping al I suddenly heard hoofs trotting along the ground. I looked up and I saw in the distance a horse coming towards me. When the horse came close enough, I said, Shalom Aleichem, Reb Horse. <laughs> and the horse said, Aleichem HaShalem. <clears throat> and I said, Reb Horse, could you please tell me, to Vanet Geita Horse, where are you going? Where are you going? So the horse told me where it's traveling. And it happened to be in the opposite direction of where I wanted to go. The horse asked me, where are you on your way? So I said, I'm lost, but I was trying to get to, and I said the name of this town. So I said to the horse, I'm I'm out of energy, I'm out of strength, I have nothing to (laughs) eat or to drink. Would you mind if I sat on you and you took me? You took me where I needed to go. So the horse said, sure, but if you sit on me, you're going where I want to go not where you want to go. <laughs> so the, 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 the Magad says, I had no choice. And I said, sure, I'll go where you want to go. The, the other option isn't a very good option. So. so the horse crouched down and I climbed on top of it. And the horse started to go in the direction it wanted to go. But now... I took the reins and I turned the horse around and I pointed it in the direction that I needed to go. So the horse said, hey, we had a deal. What are you doing? That's not fair. So the maggot said, listen, while I was on the ground and you were up there in the air, I was ready to make any deals that you wanted. But now I'm sitting over here and I'm holding the reins in my hand. Now you're going where I'm taking you. And the Maggid said, that all was an analogy. Now let me tell you the analog. <laughs> I don't know what analog the Maggid said. But I'll tell you our analog. We're all born with a horse. We all have a horse. Our horse is our nefesh habahamis, our animal soul. And our animal soul... <coughs> Our animal soul likes to go to the places it wants. It has places it likes to frequent. Wherever it likes going, whatever it likes doing. It likes eating certain things. It likes hanging out in certain places. And it wants to go to the places it wants. The job of a Yid here in this world is to take the reins of its Nefesh Abahamis. Because the Nefesh Abahamis is our external selves, our physical body, our more natural inclinations. Our animal soul is that the, the, the horse which is riding us, which we're driving. But we can't let this horse run wild. We need to take control. And this idea of taking control, that is iskafia. Iskafia means you take the reins into your hand and you tell the horse, you're not going where you want, you're going where I want. I'm in control, not you. This idea of controlling oneself is an idea which is so lacking in today's society. People think that you have to give in to yourself as much as possible. You have to just let yourself have and let yourself go and let yourself be and so on and so forth. 
You're not supposed to have any form of discipline. You're not supposed to have any form of self-control because who knows, you might bruise yourself. You might hurt yourself. But the perspective of a yid is exactly the opposite. You're supposed to take control. And you're supposed to put who in control? Yourself in control. What's yourself? Who are you really? Not your external reality. Who are you really? Who are you really? What do you really want? You're a nefesh kiss. You're a neshama. And your neshama wants to be able to express itself. It wants to be able to connect. It wants to be able to have a godly experience. And you have to give your neshama that opportunity to be able to have that godly experience. You have to let your neshama do that. And you let your neshama do that through taking control. And that's the concept of iskafia. What's iskafia? Iskafia doesn't say don't eat cookies. Because if I didn't want you to eat cookies, why would I put the cookies in front of you? They do, they taste good. <laughs> but obviously, that's something which it's okay to use. It's okay to eat the cookies. But eat them on the neshama's terms. On the nefesh aleikis's terms. Eat them on the terms of what Hashem wants of you. What does Hashem want of you? He wants you to eat them in certain times, in certain ways, in a way which channels the cookie, which channels Hashem, rather, through the cookie, which allows the cookie to channel godliness here into this world, which allows the horse to drive the neshama where it needs to go. That's the concept of iskafia. What's ishapcha? Ishapcha is a much deeper step, but it's Achieved through his kafya. His hapcha is where the horse, already on its own, goes where it needs to go. The horse doesn't have its own places that it wants to go, and you have to pull the reins in a different direction in order to point it where it should be going. His hapcha is where the horse itself wants to go in the right direction. That's the concept of his and his And that is the Aveda of a Jew. That's what we're here for. We're here, like we said earlier, that we should be a Beis HaMikdash. How do we become a Beis HaMikdash? Through Eskafya Nesapcha. That means through saying that everything that I encounter, my money, my car, my telephone, my computer, my treadmill, everything that I have, my refrigerator, everything about me, is there in order to channel godliness here into this world. And that is accomplished by making sure not not to have those things, but to have them and use them properly, to take the reins into your hand to the point that there are certain things that we're able to achieve, that it's a complete sabcha. What does that mean? That you, anyone that walks into a base medrash and he sees a Sefer Torah sitting over there in the Aaron Kaidish, he says, wow, that's a godly artifact. That's something which is spiritual, which is holy, which is godly. How do you see, when you're looking at physical, a physical object, how do you see godliness? Because this hapcha was accomplished with it. So our Aveda here in this world is a skafid Sabcha. And the Maimah translates that very specifically. The Neshama Tered Lamata, Neshama should descend below. Lehislabish Beguf Vinafishabahamis to clothe itself inside of a body and an animal soul. <coughs> and what happens when the Neshama goes into this body and animal soul? Haim, they, the body, the animal soul, ya'alimu, v'yastiru, they hide, they conceal, al-arhaneshama. You look at a person and you only see his externality. But the person is not his externality. You know better. You know that there's depth to every person. You know that you have a personality inside of yourself, which is much more, much more than your physical appearance, even than your natural traits, you know there's much more to you. 
So the body and the animal soul, they hide and conceal the light of the neshama. But nevertheless, the job of the neshama is to do which means through this it accomplishes a bearer, a refinement. V'zichoch, a purification of haguf, the body, the nefesh of the animal soul, the gam chalke ba'elam, and all of its stuff in the world, its cookies, its 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 telephones, and so on and so forth, its car, its bed, everything that it has here in this world. Through iskafia nisapcha, you're able to refine it, you're able to purify it, and you're able to allow that godliness should feel comfortable in it that it should become a Beis HaMikdash for Hashem, and that it should be a place where Hashem is comfortable. And this is therefore what we said earlier, <coughs> make for me a Mikdash, Hashem says, make for me a Beis HaMikdash, and I will dwell in you, inside of every single individual. This is through the divine service of refinement, which we spoke about, through using the tools of as it says in the Zayar. And the Zayar tells us this secret in the following statement. And this is a secret which it's, it's in Aramaic. And even though some of you still have to learn Hebrew, we're going to throw Aramaic at you as well. And I'm going to expect you to memorize this next statement, okay? Kadiskafya sitra acha. The Zayar tells us this secret, that when, kad, when, iskafya, you perform iskafya to the sitra acha, to the other side, meaning to the concealment of godliness, to that which prevents us from being able to see godliness. That's on the other side. That's not us. This causes, when you bend it over, what happens if you bend over the concealment? Mm -hmm. Let's say there's godliness and there's a curtain which is blocking it, preventing it from being able to shine. What happens if you bend over that curtain? Then you allow the godliness to shine through. Right? That's iskafia. Iskafia is you bend over the concealment, you bend over the klipa, and when you bend over the klipa, then you're able to see the godliness which is behind it. And that's what the what the Zayar says. Kadiskafia sitra acha. When you do iskafia to the sitra acha, this causes that istalik, there arises yikara, the glory. The Kudsha Birichu of the Holy One, blessed be He, Bechulhu Olmin in all of the worlds. Now, what the Mimer is going to focus on now is this concept of Bechulhu Almin in all of the worlds. What does it mean that you cause that the glory of Hashem rises in all of the worlds? What are all of the worlds? And what is the idea of Hashem's glory rising in all of the worlds? And the word which is used over here is istalik. Istalik is also a word which is related to the concept of istalkos. Istalkos is the word that we use when we say that a tzaddik passes away, we say he was nistalik. It was the histalkos of that tzaddik. Why? What does it mean? Because his neshama rises. It's no longer stuck in his body. It's rising above. And that's the concept of histalkos. Histalik, means that there is a deepening of Hashem's presence in all of the worlds. So let me briefly go through the worlds with you. We're not going to be able to finish this whole chapter today. We'll have to continue tomorrow morning. But let me briefly go through the four worlds with you. We said earlier, there's a world of Atsilus. We said the word world of Atsilus is like the blueprint of creation. In other words, it's a purely spiritual world. It's a world where nothing tangible exists. Then you have the beginning of certain tangibility. When we say tangibility, we don't mean physicality. Physicality is a whole different type of tangibility. When we're using the word tangibility, we mean yeshus, we mean existence, something separate. 
Tangibility means separateness from God. In the world of Atsilus, there is no separateness from God. In the world of Bria, there is separateness from God. There is Yeshus, there is existence, which is outside of God. Then you have the world of Yitzira. So we said that the world of Bria was like the world where you have all the material, the possibility to build, but there's still infinite potential within that material. Then you have the world of Yitzira. The world of Yitzira is where it starts to take form. The word Yitzira means form. Bria means existence. That means existence of something. And Yitzira means form. And then you have the world of Asiya. Asiya is making the word world where you make, where you create, where you have the actual structure, the building that you're putting together. That's the four worlds, and in Asiya there's two halves, there's the spiritual part of Asiya, and then the physical part of Asiya, which is a whole new world. Now, just briefly going through that, so there's an analogy which I've given in the past to describe these four worlds, and we're going to work from the bottom up. If you have a puppet, right? So what's the puppet? Itchikaduzi? Yeah, you know who Itchikaduzi is? So Itchikaduzi has a gefilte fish puppet. So we'll talk about the gefilte fish puppet, right? So <clears throat> why, why would I, if I wanted to communicate the message to you, why would I say it from the gefilte fish instead of from me? Why do I have the gefilte fish say that message to you? Because when I talk, Bachrim tend to fall asleep. But if the gefilte fish is doing the talking... <laughs> even though it's me talking through the gefilte fish. Obviously, everyone knows that. But if the gefilte fish is doing the talking, it captures your attention. It captures your attention. So the gefilte fish is talking, right? But there's four levels that we could have this gefilte fish puppet talking. The first level is where all you see is the gefilte fish. That's our world. All you see is the gefilte fish, and you think that the gefilte fish is actually talking. I don't, you, you guys don't remember the, the headline, which uh, I don't know how long ago it was, 25 years ago or something, where there was a talking fish. <laughs> the talking fish, there was a talking fish um, uh, in, in New Square. In the, oh, yeah. in the fish market. You remember that? Where the fish said that the end is near. Mashiach is coming. Um, something like that. <laughs> so you have a gefilte fish talking and you think that the gefilte fish is actually talking. You think that the gefilte fish is actually expressing itself. Not you think. You know that it's not, but it looks like in every which way that the gefilte fish is talking. That's our world. Our world is where we have everything around us, and the world around us seems self-animated, self-existing. It seems to have its own reality, its own truth, its own vitality, its own energy, and it's not reliant on anything else. You see the puppet talking, and it sounds like the puppet is actually talking. That's the lowest level. A higher level is where sometimes the puppeteer um, reaches his hand a little bit too high, right? And you see the arm underneath the puppet, right? When you see the arm underneath the puppet, so you see where the puppet is coming from. You still look at the puppet and it still sounds like the puppet is talking, but you see the arm underneath it. That's the world of Yitzira, the world where there's a understanding that even though we feel like we exist, but we know that we come from somewhere, we don't feel like our existence comes from nowhere. Then you have an even deeper world, and that's the world of Bria. What's the world of Bria? The world of Bria is where the puppet is transparent. So even though there's a puppet there, which is talking, but you could see through the puppet and see the hand which is making the puppet move. Then you have the world of Atsilos. What's the world of Atsilos? The world of Atsilos is a world of pure godliness. The world of Atsilos is where a person is just sitting there with his hand going like this. <laughs> So there's still the concept of a puppet 
and the hand is moving like a puppet, and it's talking through the hand. See, listen to what my hand is saying, right? But you see, it's just the hand. It's just the person's hand, the person's hand. You're able to see it directly. Now, it's self-understood that the godliness, as it's perceived in the world of Atsilus, is to an extreme, an opposite extreme, than the godliness that's perceived in the world of Asiya. In other words, in our world, our world is so distant, is so far from godliness that we look at the world and we see the world as a self-existence. The puppet seems to be self-animated, self-reliant, self-talking, and the puppet seems to just exist. And then you have the opposite extreme where you don't even see a puppet. The puppet doesn't exist. All you see is a hand. But it's still a hand which is talking and not the person's mouth which is talking. Obviously, ultimately, the talking comes from the person's mouth. But what you see is the hand talking. You don't see the mouth talking because the ventriloquist knows how to hide his mouth and make it seem like it's all coming from the hand. So that means that even the world of Atsilos, at the end of the day, it's called an Eilam, a world. And the word Eilam comes from the language of Ha'alam, concealment, because it's concealing godliness. So what the Mimer is going to focus on now is what does it mean that godliness increases, godliness rises in all of the world simultaneously. If something is happening in the world of Atsilos, it can't be the same thing that's happening in the world of Asiya. It's two extremes. You can't have the same display, the same movie, the same lecture in the world of Atsilos and the world of Asiya simultaneously. So if there's something that's occurring in all of the world simultaneously, it has to be deeper than that. That's the main point which we're going to make from here till the end of the chapter, and we're going to see what it is that you're connecting to through Iskafia, Kad Iskafia Sitiracha, when you do this divine service of Iskafia, you're connecting to such a deep level that is able to occur in all of the world simultaneously. So we'll continue tomorrow morning, Vazus Hashem. Yeah. <coughs>